So it's a real thing. But also, we need to understand that, you know, this is an invisible enemy. Isn't it interesting that the whole world is referring to this coronavirus 19 as an invisible enemy? And uh, I've been working on something called the invisible enemy, the colossal clash between the invisible enemy and the invisible God. And beloved, I want you to understand this is just a precursor. This is just a precursor. I don't want you to let your guard down and say, especially in the body of Christ, that once we're through this, you know, we're just sailing free and everything's back to normal. No, this is a precursor of the days that we're in. Um, I was looking over some of my stuff that's dated, but it's not very dated. I looked back to some things I released in 1980 and then in 85 and then in 95 and then in 2012 and then just in September of this last year. And I've been consistent in saying that there was a time coming to shake the earth. And it's even as was cried out by the prophets to let the heavens and the earth shake in that day. And also in Hebrews chapter 12, that there would be a shaking of the heavens and the earth, but that we are those that are in a kingdom that cannot be shook. So you can choose this day which kingdom that you want to be in. Do you want to be in the one that's being shook here on the earth? Or even in the heavens that you don't understand, and that's the second heaven where the spiritual world is in frenzy and chaos? Or do you want to be in the kingdom that's with our God Almighty? I can assure you that nothing is shaking his throne but he himself. And he shakes his throne with the quaking of his own glory and his own voice and his own power. Nothing surprises our God. He is almighty. He is beyond anything that could in any way move him. He's not going to go where he doesn't want to go. And so we've seen that this little virus, this little thing that's a microbe, it's tiny, it's, it's smaller than one micrometer. It's that small, it's even smaller than that. And it's, it's brought the world economy to its knees, hasn't it? But there's something attached to it called fear. And there's another thing that's attached to it that's called lack of faith. Don't expect the nations and the leaders of this world to lead you in faith. First and foremost, that's the responsibility of what? Faith leaders. That's the responsibility of you and I. If you're in Christ, you're the light. And you're the light to the world in a gross dark of time. You know, the stock market has plunged, hasn't it? And started to come back up a little and it's gone back down. International travels at a virtual standstill. And we see that so many nations are gripped in a fear of what they thought was a possible pandemic, and now they're calling it a pandemic, but yet everywhere that we look and see, it hasn't hit the forecast that the doomsday are said. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not telling you to relax being cautious, but shouldn't you be cautious during flu season also? Flu kills 60,000 people a year here. They say we're going to hit that number, but then some of that number has people that had pneumonia. And so the pneumonia numbers have come down. Why am I telling you this? Because you can choose the truth you want to believe. I'm not saying again, let me reemphasize to ignore the health standards. We're practicing them. But I am happy that we're opening our church back up May 3rd. 
And I want to invite you back into the house of God. And you're going to be excited when you see the seating arrangement that we have and some of the restructuring we've done in the church. But we're coming back to half church. And I know that that call is being welcomed throughout the nation and I hope throughout the world. And I'm praying that some of you will be able to step back out with a caution and with the wisdom, but to get your lives back on because there's going to be all kinds of reasons in the soon years to come to hide in your home. Choose what you're going to do. All kind of reasons. Very interesting that there's been this call to purity. People are washing their hands. I overheard women talking about their nails, the polishes off, and they want to get their nails done and get their pedicures. And I mean, look at my hair. My hair's getting bushy. I like seeing television when I see some of these celebrities and stars with their hair out of place. And they, I, I think they probably could get it done, but they feel if they did, someone would point at them and say, look at you, you're breaking the rules. Um, it's sort of interesting to watch how people are reacting to this. But the one thing that stands out more than ever is this call to purity. Purity. And the purity that's, that's being pursued, it's a good one. It's a hygiene issue. We're going to wash our hands. and We're going to wash them over and over and over. And we've all relearned that you can't just put them under the water. You've got to wash them 20 seconds, 30 seconds. Sing happy birthday. By the time you're done with it, your hands are clean. Get your nails underneath. And some people are cutting their nails so nothing can get underneath. And a lot of people washing their hands so much that the, the hands are, are rough. But that's nothing new, this call to purity. As I was considering and actually writing uh, for this book of the invisible enemy versus the invisible God, I thought about a mitzvah that's done all the time at the Western Wall and what was done in the temple. And, and, and even when I attended Ursuline High School, a Catholic high school, and I didn't understand the rituals, there'd be a time when the, the, the priest would put his hands, he'd dip his hands in the water just dip them in the water. And then the times that I was at the Western Wall and you would go through the mitzvah of cleansing your hands, the water ceremony, and, and the times in the temple when you would come in and of course the priest, it goes all the way back to the command that God gave to the priests in Deuteronomy, which was to wash your hands and feet before you end in to the temple. Very interesting that in the plague, uh, the recent plagues that happened in 150 years ago when there was a very, very bad Black Death plague. And, and back in the Middle Ages, the one people that had the, the least mortality rate were the Jews because they were practicing this process of purity. Not because they just wanted to be clean from a plague, but because they were following the law. And this tradition of purity that goes all the way back to Moses, where God commanded the priests, it also says in Psalms 24, 3, who may ascend unto the hill of the Lord or who may stand in his holy place, but he who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol, nor sworn deceitfully. Contrast that to what Isaiah said. You know, Isaiah gave us a lot of prophecies about consequences and conditions if the people strayed away. And don't put that in a historical context and say, oh, that's not for me. I'm in a time of grace. Oh, yes? 
I think it's more pertinent to us than it was to them because we know much better. We have received the righteousness of Christ, which I can't wait to deal with slightly with us a little bit here today. We have been blessed with grace and the mercy of God and Christ who bore our diseases and took our sins. But to whom much is given, much is required. So please don't shut your Bible from Matthew and Malachi back and say, oh, that's not for me. That was for them. They were disobedient. Really? Really? Isaiah said in 115, your hands are covered with blood. And he wasn't talking about physical blood. He was talking about the sins of the people. And because of that, the Lord said that he would shut off blessings unto them. Joel chapter 2, verses 1 and 14, blow the trumpet in Zion. That's what we were doing. Call the people together to repent. And to seek for him because who knows if he will turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him. So how do we perceive this little micrometer of a disease, this, this invisible little thing that has brought the whole world to its knees? Do we perceive it as something that just happened to creep out of a lab in China? I, personally, I mean, so far with the information we had, we've been spot on since January about what really happened. And I think some of you know I was ridiculed as being a conspiracist. Yes, I'm a conspiracist. I conspire to believe, but my God is sovereign in everything. And so what came out of there, whether it was by a rogue, and nobody's even talked about that, was it some micro warfare biologist who decided he or she was going to take things in or whether it was a testing of the Chinese people in Wuhan and they didn't realize it was going to get out of control but this I can tell you you don't have to be too smart to figure this one out it happened out of that lab and prior to it being however they cultivated it in that lab there was no COVID-19 in the earth so it came out of there and it came out of there with an intentionality to make it to try to figure out how to break it. But we need to understand that that little micrometer of something, even though men and women design evil things, that God is sovereign. And so is this something where we see that evil has dominated and overcome the world, or, or do we understand it as a heavenly shofar blasting? I hear the shofar. I've heard it just warming up and tweaking for a long time, but I hear it now so loudly. And the Lord has spoken to me, son, this is the time that I've been speaking to you about, that you've been crying out somewhat of a voice sometimes alone in the wilderness. And especially back in those days of 1980, my poor wife, when she first met me, I said, there's going to be dark times, honey, very dark times. Jesus is coming. This world is going to be shook, and she would look at me, and she'd listen and hear this, and so many other people had so many different messages, but mine keeps coming back to that, and now it's a voice that I'm crying out and saying, prepare the way for the Lord. Jesus is coming, and the heavens and the earth are shaking. James said this in chapter 4, verse 8. He said, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you, and that's what we need to do now. 
Yes, we need to social distance if that's so, but don't social distance from God. This is an opportunity to draw close to God because he has put the earth on pause. The busyness of the earth, the earth is, is busy right now trying to become busy again. Isn't that ironical? Everybody wants to get back to busyness. <laughs> and the Lord says it's on pause. And he put it on pause so that there would be a time and a moment to hear, to hear the voice of the people of God and to hear our hearts and to hear him talking and speaking to us. James said, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. We need to have a greater vigor to cleanse ourselves and to walk in the purity of the righteousness that God has entrusted to us, the privilege we have of the righteousness of Christ. We need to have that same vigor that we have right now all over the earth, washing hands, washing hands. How about this for a Christian? Instead of saying happy birthday and saying that's how long I'm going to wash my hands, how about you just praise the Lord? Take a psalm and praise the Lord while you wash your hands and tell him to wash your heart while you're at it. And how about we stand in the gap? And how about we stand as clarion voices of righteousness to people as a light of hope and truth and promise in a world that's lost. Beloved, just, I looked at a, at a sermon that I gave in our series on righteousness, which took us all the way from the summer to December. Isn't that interesting? A half a year. Declaring and determining and understanding the righteousness of God. And in September, I said, beloved, some very dark times are about to fall upon us. Some of the times that are beginning, it isn't the things that we've seen in the past. And it's going to be unlike what we've seen before. They're coming soon. And then I looked farther back and I saw last year that I declared the Ides of March. <laughs> I didn't know what I was saying. I just knew that God spoke to me and said the Ides of March. Do you know when the pandemic was declared one? Right in the middle of the Ides of March, March 15th. You see... This is in my nature. This is who I am. This is what I've been seeing for so long. And this is my prayer, and I'm going to say this to you, just like God has pinpointed things through many of us and through this oracle in the past. This earth will go back to sleep as fast as it came aware of this coronavirus. People are going to return to the complacency and the lack of zeal for God just as fast as they suddenly move to wash our hands. But not you. I pray not you and not me. We're the ones who have been called out in a time of a global shaking to rise up as God's people, but not again to fall flat. You know, I, I don't know how to bake, and I know a few of you I'm looking at, the few people that are here, you're really good bakers, and I appreciate when you bring me really good stuff. I eat it, and I enjoy it, but I'm a terrible baker. I don't even know how to make dough, let alone how to bake and do something good. But I know there's something about how you let it rise, and I know that there's a talent of, of, of letting something be able to not collapse. I mean, who wants an apple pie that everything fell down in the middle and you've got a few skins left in it, or a coconut cream pie that's not fluffy and it's just moving around in your dish like a soup? You, you want... 
We don't want to be soups in the eyes of God. He's raised us up with the power. The power and the glory and the understanding right now. And we don't want to be puffed up in God, but we want to be strong in God right now. And so, see this as this. These are prophetic tremors of what's coming. You say, a tremor? This was a quake, not compared to what's coming. Look forward to the book of Revelation, and it talks about a time when the entire Babylonian system, the world system, will be brought down to its knees. Not just for a moment. Not just to recover in three months or six months or one year or whatever it takes. Not for some restaurants to shut down, and we need to pray for. Those are people getting hurt the worst right now. Many restaurants aren't going to open back up. I mean, who wants to go to a restaurant where... You have to sit on one end and the other person that end and they don't have enough room for all the people coming in. No, this is a foreshadow of what's to come. Now, I want to move on and discuss this with you. We do need to understand the time we live in. It's more important now than it ever was before. My prayer is that some of the voices of the faith leaders around who are giving good messages that you're going to get through this and you don't have to fear. I pray they go to the next step. And they begin to say, but I want you to understand this is just a sign of what is coming. We need to stop the talismans of our faith that have led people the wrong way. And that expectancy to escape needs to be replaced with a faith to stand and to be strong and to make it through. Overcoming isn't somehow leaving the earth before everything shakes and quakes. Overcoming is being able to rise up in the midst of the storm and be victorious, not just for yourself. Some of these theories that we have, and I call them theories, it's all about how do we get out? How do, how do I rapture? How do, how do I get out of this? I don't want to be here. Really? Thank God our Jesus didn't pray for legions of angels to take him off the cross. He said, I'm going to stand. I'm going to stand. And not only am I going to stand, I'm going to rise again and I'm going to be strong. It's not for me, I do it for you. And the Father says, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. How many of you are willing to say a prayer that I say? No, I don't understand eschatology completely. All I know is the time that we're in, and I knew it was coming, and I know that Jesus is coming. That I know. And I knew I was never supposed to escape it, and I, this is how I prayed. And this is how I pray. I say, Father, if there is this taking away, and that my Jewish people are going to be the ones that are going to be really persecuted, and, and the only way you're going to stay is if for some reason you're backslidden or you're not walking in Christ right. None of that makes sense to me. Then leave me. Would you leave me, Lord, until my assignment's done, until my time is up? Let me be a voice. Let me cry and weep between the porch and the altar for my people. That was my prayer that brought me to the Lord. Lord, my people were lost. I was lost. I didn't even know who I was or who my people were. And now I'm crying out in my heart and I see a, a lost people that are blind. And we have blind leading the blind. The rabbis had no answers for. 
Religious people had no answers for me. Are you willing to say that prayer? Huh? Are you willing to say, Lord, I'll do more. I'll stand in a big gap if that's what needs to happen. Are you willing? It might just be a test of your heart. It also might be a challenge to your selfishness. No greater love has a man or a woman to lay down their life for a friend. Doesn't mean to just die. It means to surrender. Lord, do it. Paul, we need to have the heart of Paul. Paul saw so much. We've seen so much. We've heard so much. We've received so much. We know so much. Too much has hurt us. What Paul say? He said, I've seen unspeakable things. I, I, I can't even tell you about them. I couldn't put them in words if I wanted to, but it's unlawful for me to say them because they're so high of God that they're not made for the ears of man on this earth yet. I saw them. I heard them. He said, but I'm betwixt two worlds and two spirits. On the one hand, I want to go because I know what it's like. I want to be there with him. I want to be in that grace. And, you know, Paul wasn't a masochist. He didn't enjoy all the persecutions and the lashes and the beatings and the rejections. No. He tolerated them, and he did them with glory. And he said, this is nothing compared to what my Lord did. And he said, so my prayer is, Lord, I'm betwixt these two worlds, but nevertheless, allow me to have the grace to serve what you've given me to do now. That's the call to the body of Christ right now. To really surrender, not to just look for a way out. I wrote, the promises of God are much more than for you or for me to merely survive. And then of course, the good part of that, one of, some of you, this is your favorite scripture. I know a man who has it written and says it all the time, for I know the plans, Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Huh? Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. So we can hold on to that in the midst of the storm and the gloom and the darkness. There are hearts that are gripped in fear and, and their hope is gone because they don't understand that God has a plan that's beyond that. And there's believers that are being tossed around in chaos and gloom and uncertainty. Too many people trapped in an environment that's out of their control. And now we see the flesh starting to percolate and people are starting to, to, to go and to rally and to protest in front of their capitals and in places saying, I want out, I'm done with this. What will, the, what will the church do? What will we do? What will we say? What do you take from this? What do I take from this? This much I can tell you. My God is sovereign. And your God is sovereign. We don't have to wonder about whether God's got control. He's got control. The question mark is, are we out of control? Are we in the hearts and plans of God? So, there's a couple pandemic assaults 
that are going on right now. There's many more in the earth than the ones that, the one that we understand right now, and some of this I've brought forth, and I just want to remind you that there's a plague of locusts in East Africa. Seven or eight nations totally wiped out their crops and vegetation. There's fires and quakes. There's starvation. There's polluted water and thirst in 25% of the nations of this world, some form of famine. There's other diseases that have killed many more lives annually than this one. AIDS hasn't been solved. Over two million people have died already of AIDS this year around the earth. The common cold is still killing people. Flu has killed as many people and many more people last year. Cancers are killing many more people. Suicides are up over three, 400,000 since January 1. Suicides. Are those pandemics? Are those disasters? They're the same invisible enemy with a different mask on. And where's the church? And the one most grave of all, the one that we are causing, the one that's not an invisible enemy, it's the blood of our hands that Isaiah cried out, is the legalization of abortion. Every 15 seconds, a baby is killed in the earth. Have you ever wondered where those children are. They're in heaven. They're raising up. And they're some of the martyrs that are under the throne room of God crying out, when will you revenge us? When will you avenge us? They don't want people to be killed on earth. They want abortion to stop. And yet we train with our liberal minds that you know, every woman has the right over their own body. Really? Does every man have the right over their own body? I mean, I could just go out and do whatever I want. Any perversion? The greatest one crying out to God is the blood of our children. And that's what gets them angry. All of the things with the children of Israel crying out in Exodus. And he said, I heard their cries. And whether you believe it was 200 and some years, as some rabbis say, or 400 years, or 430 years, it was a long time. It was many generations of slavery. But the one thing that he responded to Moses with that got him angry, and he said, I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart was when Pharaoh tried to kill the firstborn promise of God. He said, he tried to kill my firstborn. Anytime the invisible enemy wants to stop an unstoppable move of God, the edict goes out, kill the children. Beloved, Jesus is coming. And the edict went out, and it sounded in this country, and it sounded around, and it trapped many innocent people whom God has forgiven since for a sin that's as consequential as my sins. It's no greater sin than the sins that Jesus forgave me for. It's not a message of condemnation. 
But when he saw Israel click that talk in May of 1948, and that clock began to run, and the minute hand went past 11, I've just written that it's on 1131 right now. There's 29 more minutes left in this hour. Jesus is coming. When he saw that, let's kill the children. Because in the children might be another promise of God. In, in that children, there might be the prophets, there might be the leaders, but let's kill the firstborn. And that blood's crying out to God. A lot of things get God angry, but I don't think there's anything that gets him more angry than the blaspheme of the Holy Ghost. That's an unpardonable sin. Another time. And the killing of the unborn. So yes, we need to cry out. Yes, we need in this country to do what we must do. Forget the politics. But God help you as a Christian if you go in and pull the lever for anybody that has the power to support abortion in this earth, you will have to answer for it unless you're covered in the blood. But to whom much is given, much is required. You can't ignore that in your faith. You can choose to, but it doesn't excuse it. You say, Pastor, you're being tough. Yes, I'm being tough. I don't want blood on my hands. I don't want to be one who's silent and becomes the silent majority and says, I'm going to conform and be quiet because I don't want people to not come to my church or I don't want people to not listen to the rest of my message or I don't want to be tagged or declared something else. A certain political affiliation, let me tell you something, I don't care if it was green, independent, democratic, political, anything but socialist. If they're telling me they're going to stop abortion and line up with a few other things of God and I have to choose between someone who says they are and they won't no matter their political affiliation my vote is cast because I know what's crying out to our God the blood is crying from the ground the altar of the sacrifice of our promises of God cries out but here's another good news. The blood of Jesus is crying from the ground. And the blood of Jesus says, son, daughter, no matter what you've done, I've washed it clean. I've forgotten it. Can we forget it? Can we forget it? He says, I've forgotten it for you. It's an invisible enemy. And that invisible enemy has done a tremendous job on the entire earth. Now, there are weapons of warfare. I may or may not get into these. But this, I would like you to understand. What's our takeaway on all of this? Let's talk about a vessel right now. God has done some very special things in his scriptures and in his time with vessels. And you and I, we're a vessel. I'd like us to 
Just read the scriptures in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, starting in verse 6 for a moment. For it is the God, (laughs) not God. For it is the God, and wherever you're at, say the God. It is the God, the one and only God, Adonai Eloheinu. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost, the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Just do something prophetic. Say, I have this treasure. I have this treasure of the knowledge of the glory of God in this vessel. You're a vessel. You're filled with something. We'll talk about that in a moment. I have the knowledge of the glory of God in this vessel so that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. Well, let me rephrase that for you. So that the responsibility and that the requirement for the power is not on me, it's on God. But there's a condition that I have the knowledge of the glory of God in this vessel. This vessel gets filled with something. A lot of vessels filled with fear right now, but how many are filled with the fear of the Lord? There's something about the fear of the Lord that diminishes all the other fear. God's fear, forget the play on words, trumps all other fear. God's fear. When we fear God and understand He's sovereign, All the other fears diminish because we realize that the fear of the Lord allows us to have the abundance of God and everything that he is. I was considering vessels. 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 21. If a man therefore purges himself from these, from these, now, Stop a moment. What is this letter? This is to believers. This isn't talking about being born again or just saved in Christ. This is believers. This is to people in the church. This is to Christians. And he says, if a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet and useful for the master's use and purposes and prepared unto every good work. Just because I receive Christ and I don't change my heart or repent and I don't have a pure heart and and I don't make myself a vessel that's sanctified does not mean that I'm qualified or functional for the work of God. What it tells us is That would make me dysfunctional. And beloved, this is the grave danger of the lukewarm church. This is it. God spits this nature out of his mouth. Now we love to preach. There's a sin nature and there's a righteousness nature. And the sin nature without going through the whole sequence starts with Adam and we understand the Adamic sin and we understand how the sin nature came in and Christ came to overcome the sin nature and he did. 2 Corinthians 5.21 
He was made sin who had never sinned or knew no sin that you and I might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. There was one nature that replaced another nature. The old sin nature is overcome by the blood of the Lamb and faith in Jesus Christ. And we receive a new nature. We're born again. It's a new creation creature filled with the nature of God, which is the righteousness of God and the fullness of His glory, as opposed to the sin nature. But listen to me. We sometimes get lost between the lanes. It's easy for us to say sin nature, darkness, evil, eternal death, righteousness and glory nature, life, light, eternal. But there's something in between. There's a tweener in there. It's a gray nature. God made it very emphatic through the revelation of Jesus Christ to John in Revelation. The Laodicean church, chapter 3. Three temperatures. Just in the church, three temperatures. Forget the world. This is a message to the church. This is a message to the body of Christ. This is a message to you and I, unless we close our ears and eyes and stand in the arrogance of our salvation and say, not me. No, surely not me. The lukewarm, he spits it out of his mouth. It's a defiled nature. If we had to call it some kind of shade as compared to dark and the glory of the light, I guess we would call it gray. It has a tinge of light, but it's not all dark. A form of godliness, but no power therein. Creeping and seducing into the homes of women. Just don't play on women. Creeping and seducing into the hearts of believers. Foul things coming out of the heart and the mouth. Judgments, gossips, bitterness, lying deceits. One foot in the dark another foot in the light. It becomes gray. And the Spirit of God cries out. Hot or cold, but not lukewarm. Isn't it interesting? We're washing our hands and we're taking our temperatures. Huh? We're washing our hands. We're taking our temperatures. Oh, you have a temperature. Get out. You can't even go to the doctor's office with a temperature. Go to the emergency. Don't come in here. You got a temperature. Yeah, but I got an abscessed tooth. No, 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 no. Go to the, go to the hospital. But I know I got... No, 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 no. Temperature don't come. Psst, psst. God's taking temperatures. And the lukewarm, he says, if you stay lukewarm, you're a goat. You're not a sheep. And the goats, we know what happens. Get out. You have no place in my kingdom. But Lord, I, I healed people for you. I preached to people for you. I, I spent millions of dollars that the people gave me. But yes, I spent millions of dollars 
advertising and promoting and, 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 and I flew all around the world in my $60 million jet. I, I, I did all these things for you, Lord. What's your temperature? Lukewarm? A goat. Get out. But Lord, contrast that. I didn't have the same assets of so-and-so. They, they had everything. You, you gave them everything. So I, did, I wasn't really called to go out and do anything. I just was getting by, getting through. I believed. I repented every week or once a year when I went to church. I, I believe in Jesus, but so do the demons. <laughs> You better believe the devil believes in Jesus. Lukewarm. God says, I spit it out. Back to vessels. <laughs> I was praying a couple days ago. I said, Lord, what, what can I understand? What can I share? What can I preach that would somehow make it so simple to understand a, a vessel uh, that, that we indeed are people that have weapons of warfare that are not carnal and that are mighty to pulling down strongholds. And, and how can I correlate that somehow to hot and lukewarm and cold? What's, how do I make it come clear? And I saw something strange. I saw a big ship, a really big ship. And I saw it was an aircraft carrier. And I saw that it was huge. And in my vision, I began to, I don't really understand how one is designed. I mean, I looked it up since, and I began to take a journey through the different compartments. And, and I went to the, the engine room, the nuclear room, and I saw a couple guys around there that looked really smart. And I saw things, and I saw buzzers and bells and cautions, and I realized this was the heart of that great big vessel, power. And I saw that if that power went down, that, that ship, that vessel, the, the largest vessel of its kind on earth that's mobile, I saw that it would just be a duck in the water. With all of the capacity, all the weapons of warfare, incapable of doing anything. And the Lord said, Son, tell my people, Many of them are vessels, and their weapons don't work because they've shut off the power. Oh, my God. Let me talk a little bit about the aircraft carrier. They have to be fast. Did you know that? They have to go over 30 knots because they have to outrun a submarine. They take a long time to turn around sometimes. And they've consistently been growing in size. For the United States, it's now become the flagship of the fleet. It used to be a destroyer or something. But now it's the flagship, and everything else comes around it. And it allows a naval power to project this air power that's worldwide. You don't need local bases. You don't need staging places. You don't need permission to be in a country. You can't infringe on somebody's airspace because the air is coming with you. <laughs> the power 
and the ability to launch war goes where you go. Interesting, just for the sidelight for those of you who are buffs, there's 44 active aircraft carriers in the world operated right now by 14 navies and the United States has 11 of them. Very large nuclear-powered fleet carriers, not the smaller ones. That They have a bunch of those. We have a bunch of those, too. And each one of them carries about 80 fighter jets, which is sometimes more than most nations have in their entire air force. And the combined deck space of our 11, the United States 11 aircraft carriers, is twice the deck space of all other nations combined. That's how great the U.S. Navy is. The United Kingdom and China, they have two aircraft carriers. And France, India, and Russia. Russia, they only have one each with capacities of only 30 to 60. This massive vessel of war can be both offensive and defensive. Offensive and defensive. Sometimes just the presence of this massive aircraft carrier off of somebody's shore is diplomatic. Diplomacy reigns. All of a sudden, they're not too interested in messing with the bull and getting the horn because they realize the potential of hell fury is right off the side. Enough to carry down a nation in one of these. Speed, large, Diplomacy, power, quick response, land attack from the sea, sea bases for helicopters, amphibious assault forces, anti-surface warfare, defensive counter-air, and humanitarian aid and disaster relief. They're some of the missions. But they have to be able to operate in the air. <laughs> you see, if the aircraft carrier didn't have aircraft, it'd just be a big boat. It'd be no difference. You may as well have a bunch of small ones and run around like those little gnats from the Iranian Navy that's a joke. Powerful. How about us? Where's our warfare at? What's energizing us? Let's go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And I want to read starting in verse 17. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Ah. Liberty. Liberty. We're a proud country that honors our warriors and thanks them that they were willing, or at least and some even had to shed their blood for our liberty. But how about honoring Jesus Christ who shed his blood for your liberty? Liberty from every pestilence, every plague, every sin, every problem, every evil. How about liberty from our own flesh? Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, 
beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, we're being transformed into the same image from glory to glory to glory to glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, do not lose heart. Do you feel like you've lost heart or you're losing heart and you're a little worried about tomorrow? Then say, Lord, give me back that ministry of the glory deep inside of me. Move me from the glory that I lost March 14th and give it back to me now. Transform me from that glory to another glory. Take me to a place of power. Fire up that engine inside of me with power. That's why Paul cried out that I might know him and the power of his resurrection. To know him and stop there without the power makes us an idle vessel. A big duck in the pond. The power. The glory. The ministry of the power and the glory. You know, if you want to receive, you got to give. <laughs> right? What you sow, you reap. I mean, these are foundational laws of the kingdom of God. If you want to receive, you got to give. Well, you want to receive more power, you've got to minister power. You want to receive more grace, you've got to receive grace. You want to get rid of fear, you need to minister the fear of the Lord. You want God to answer, you need to pray. You want to be a vessel walking in the grace and glory of God, then you need to perfect it and practice it. Because you can grow dim. And the light can be put under a bushel. And your temperature becomes lukewarm and your color becomes gray. But you can energize it. You can crank it back up. You can bring yourself back up to a fullness of light. No one else can do it for you, but you and the Lord will do it. He says, I'll do it quickly. Return unto me. Come back. And he takes his arms out and he welcomes us. And he forgets all of the bad stuff. And he cranks up the dial. Says, hot, hot, hot. God's a consuming fire. And if you're in the Lord, then you've got to be a consuming fire. Consume everything around you. God promised this to Abraham. He said that you will, you will, you will sit upon the gates of your enemies. And then to Rebekah, the seed from which came the promise out of Isaac that carried on the promise of the covenant of God, he reemphasized that your seed, your seed will sit upon the gates of its enemies. It means you have dominance. But you don't have dominance if you don't sit upon the gate of your enemy. You're just tossed around like the world to and fro. You need to take position and authority and have a confidence that you know that you know that you know that you're standing strong in God. Your enemy, your enemy of your soul, your enemy knows what he's doing. He's no novice at it. You're not going to teach him anything new. He's going to smell you. He's going to sniff you. He's going to discern you. He's going to test you. He's going to look around for the cracks and crevices in our spirits and in our hearts and in our walks and in our talks. But if we put the fear of the Lord first, 
If we declare who we are, if you have to do it once, do it twice, do it ten times, do it every time during the day, as often as you need to, I am the redeemed of the Lord. And I am the righteousness of God in Christ. And His glory is in me. And if He who is in me is, is greater than He who is in the world, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'm not weak. I'm not the tail. I am the head. And I have authority and power and dominion granted to me by God Almighty. And I sit at the gate and the enemy shall not come into this place. It's the declaration of the Word of God. Chapter 4, verse 6. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Now, as I'm getting ready to move on, we're going to have communion very shortly. I want to read out of the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 2. I'm reading out of the New International Version, but it doesn't matter. Starting in verse 2, I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be toward some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. That was Paul's message to the Corinthians who were going sideways. This is Jesus' message to the kingdom he's about to come back to. I beg you that when I come, I don't have to expect to be toward some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, the knowledge of God, the knowledge of the glory of God. And we take captive every thought to be obedient to Christ. If you have a thought that's right now obedient to Christ, if it's gnawing at you, if it's hurting you, if it's giving you fear, take it obedient and capture it in Christ. No harm shall come upon me. I'm in the Lord. And yea, though 10,000 may fall at my feet, I shall be victorious. And yea, though the terror by night shall attack me, and the arrows by day, I shall not be moved. Take those thoughts captive. Practice the ministry of your power and your glory. Isaiah 54, verse 14. In righteousness, you shall be established. <laughs> Christ is our righteousness. You can't earn righteousness, just like you can't earn salvation. But you can make righteousness gray. We need to confess that we are the righteousness of Christ. And because we are the entire abundance of everything that He has, that our Father has, is endowed to us. And that we have access to it. You are heirs of Jesus Christ. And because of His righteousness, therefore, you are a conqueror. And He takes it one step more. You are more than a conqueror. 
And no weapon that is formed against you shall prosper or succeed. Hmm. Isaiah 54, 14 and 17. I created the blacksmith who blows the coals in the fire, who brings forth an instrument for his work, and I've created the spoiler to destroy. Stop right there. Is God out of control? Do you really want to do a talisman faith that says that God is just allowing the devil to go out of control? I created the spoiler that has come to destroy, says the Lord. You know what? I dare not ask God why he chooses to be who he does. I do dare to say my God is sovereign. My God is sovereign. He does not succumb to the wiles of the devil. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. And every tongue which rises against you in judgment, you shall condemn. Hey, who's going to condemn the tongues that rise against us, that tell us that the whole world is going to be destroyed? God bless Dr. Fauci, but don't expect Dr. Fauci to lead you in faith. And don't expect a governor somewhere to do it. I heard one governor actually say, on his daily news program. Don't expect an act of God to deliver us from that. He said that. He said that. Now, he's a good man, I think. I don't know him. Somebody says we look a little alike. I don't know. But he did say those words. What does it say to us? I hear him on the hills crying out, my Savior comes. I hear his voice. Interesting thing I want to give you on this word. Hopefully it changes it for you. No weapon that can hurt you has ever been forged is another way of saying it. It's a Hebrew word, kara, but what it means is it means it was made. Yatsar, to mold it into a form, a fashion, a forging of weapons, a forging of metals, a crafting of weapons. Well, the good news about that is if something's been made and you have the power and the weapons that are not carnal but are spiritual, and even though it's a spiritual weapon, you have the authority to dismantle it. And that's why it can't prosper against you. But no word that is spoken against you can condemn you. You will condemn it. You must declare it. You must speak it. You must... Put a path across the doorstep of your house and say, you're not coming across this door in Jesus' name. You're not coming across to my children. You're not coming across. Get out in Jesus' name. Because I have authority in the name of Jesus. I have all power that's given unto me. In the name of Jesus. And at that name, every knee must bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And nothing shall separate you from the love of Christ. Nothing. 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 Unless you allow it to. Hmm. 